You cannot undermine and underappreciate the process and the journey that gets you to your destination. These popular girls are like, oh, you think you're gonna be an actress? And I said, no, no, I'm gonna do something big and I'm gonna help people. It all boils down to, for me, you know, two things. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the What You're About podcast with me, Chad Abood. And this is where we break down how inspiring leaders and entrepreneurs have uncovered their natural gifts and had the courage to bring them into their careers to make them more successful and feel happier, especially in those moments when it was scary or it would have been easier to play it safe. And that's why I wanted to make this podcast because there are so many times when we have this instinct that we want to trust ourselves or we want to dig a little bit deeper into who we are, but there's so many external pressures that tell us maybe we shouldn't do that and maybe we should follow the path. And I just deeply believe that when you know what you're about, you can have the greatest total success and you can feel the most fulfilled. And today, you know, I just feel like we have someone who exemplifies that full journey. Roma Khan, just so glad to have you. Now, the list is long, but I'm going to at least try to get some of the ones that I really want to hear more about today. So we know the CEO of Crush Contracts, but also a legal tech designer behind Global NBA, which we are definitely going to talk about a lot more, and Zoe, efficiency maker for small and medium-sized businesses, the contracts queen, clearly the fashionista. <laughs> Love those earrings. But I also know that not only do you share... And you help people by inspiring them with everything that you've built, but you also have gone through the full journey of the ups and downs too. And I appreciate you being here to help us understand not just what it takes to get to the peaks, but also what it takes to move through the valleys. So I want to thank you so much for being here and let's get started. Let's do this. So my friend, you know, we know that you're CEO, you're legal tech designer, you're all things. But it started somewhere. And so when you were a lot younger and, you know, as a little kid thinking, hmm, what is Roma going to be when she grows up? What was in your mind? Like, was the legal industry, was the tech industry there? Was the fashion industry there? Like, what was it when you were a little kid? Thank you for having me today, Chad. I appreciate this opportunity. It's been so much fun talking to you, uh, getting to this point, And I'm uh, excited about talking about all things, um, you know, self-improvement and talk about my business. Um, so yes, I, um, I have had a very interesting journey. I changed my major many times in college. I just wanted to do something that made me happy. So this is in my twenties. Um, but prior to that, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a filmmaker. I love movies. I love shows. I think we were talking about it the other day, like and I don't watch it just for entertainment. I watch the editing, I watch the writing, I see the background actors. I actually follow certain background actors through their journey until they become big. And I tell them like, oh, I've seen them from this movie. So I wanted to be a filmmaker. I, and it, what it was that I wanted to create things and take stories and share with them, uh, with people. And then I was telling you that I uh, grew up in the Saudi. So I, I, from ages one to 10, I was living in Saudi. And then at 10, uh, we moved to India. And I came to the U.S. In, at 16. So when I lived in India, my perspective changed quite a bit. I saw, you know, poverty and disparity and the violation of civil rights and just so many other things that you see in developing countries. And at that time, I wanted to be a journalist or a truth seeker and a truth, uh, you know, truth seeker and a justice seeker. And I didn't still understand law because um, lawyers were not how we see lawyers in uh, the U.S., and um, uh, so it was still kind of around there. And then I came to the U.S. and just over time uh, went from being in the fashion industry, being, uh, you know, in the movie industry and eventually realizing, you know, all of this is great and it's fun. But what's the one thing that helps people? Right. And then I consistently saw uh, people, you know, lawyers doing what they do. And then 9-11 happened and post 9-11 it just became very important for any Muslim American or anybody with Muslim you know, a lineage or heritage to just know their rights. So I decided to go to law school to know my rights. And then from there on, it all turned into this. <laughs> wow. That's a journey. We've already like crossed continents, yeah. come around the world. We've gone through like tragedy. We've gone through human rights. That's a lot. 
And I think that also speaks to you and, and your nature and what you shared. Like, you know, we can already see creativity inspires you. Media inspires you. Caring about people inspires you. Building inspires you. And so like, I can already see so much of what you're building now, you know, like it was always there, you know? And I I think that's, that's so cool. Did you, did you see those things then? Like, did you see when you were a kid and a teen growing up, like I've clearly got this creative energy. I'm clearly like into storytelling. I'm, I, I clearly care about people. And like, did you see all that? Or were you just like bopping along? You know, I was one of those unique people that I was very self-aware from a young age. I just knew things. I knew who I was. I knew who I wasn't. I didn't want to do the things that society, uh, my family pressured me to do. I knew what I wanted to do. And I, it was to do something great to help people. I was in fifth grade. And one day I said, you know, I'm going to be great and famous. And people, you know, kind of mocked me. They were, bull- you know, these popular girls are like, oh, you think you're going to be an actress? And I said, no, no, I'm going to do something big and I'm going to help people. Right. And my vision was, you know, and I, I don't know what was in me. You know, my parents were very encouraging, but I, from the beginning, since the moment I opened my eyes, believed I can do anything. There's something out there. I'm going to fix it. If there's a, you know, like I didn't understand about like that there were limitations to human achievement. And it was just always in me. So yeah, I, I saw myself doing things, building new things, helping people, you know, having, uh, you know, fame not to be popular, but to like, you know, go out there and reach as many people as possible. Just didn't know that it was going to be through law and justice, but it was, the, the idea was to help people. Um, so yeah, I kind of knew it. And it's like, I don't want to sound obnoxious, but I always, I, because I knew I, I wanted this, I pursued it, right? That's what help me uh, create that path towards it and not settle for anything less or anything that I didn't want to do or the easier thing. Yeah. I I think it's, it's amazing. It's not obnoxious. It's beautiful because, you know, so many of us feel this external pressure to be something that we're not simply because we can do those things. You know, like I remember when I was leaving my life in a big law firm and I remember being told, but, but you could be a partner here. <laughs> like, why are you leaving just to travel around the world? Like, why would you do that? And I remember saying out loud, maybe it's for the first time, but I'd clearly been thinking about this a lot is that if I can be trained to be a great lawyer and to be a partner, I can be trained to do a lot of things being trained to be something great. If that happens to also align with what you deeply care about. Amazing. But just because you've been trained in something good, I didn't want that to become the definition of who I was, who I was came first. And then the kind of outcome came after that. And you seem to be really self-aware early. I'm so curious what your parents thought of this. Like they have this self-aware kid running around saying she's going to be great and save the world. Like what was their reaction to that? Well, they loved it at first until I became a teenager. And then my mom and I, and my mom and I are like, you know, only 20, 22 years apart. So that we had that when I became a teenager, her thing was like, well, you're going to med school and then you're going to, you know, I'm, I'm an Asian kid. So with these expectations and th- then it wasn't as great, but they were very, they were very surprised. Um, but my, one of my mom's friends used to tease my heart. It's like, what did you eat when she was pregnant? Like, how did she turn out like this? So, you know, my sons are like this. And uh, so it was great that my family was very supportive of me being a tomboy and a bull thinker and, and asking questions. And my grandfather was really into philosophy. So I would sit down and talk to him for hours and, they really appreciated that. Uh, and I think then that also fueled my confidence. I'm, I, my birthday's on New Year's Day. So when I was a little girl, my mom's mom would sit me down and say, like, you know when your birthday is? It's on New Year's Day. It's a very special day. You're a very special girl. Like, the whole world celebrates your birthday. I mean, imagine the confidence that I have all day around going, I am very special. I'm born on the first day. You know, I'm the first daughter. I'm the first kid. So like it also added, you know, quite a bit. And it's so, you know, you've got the natural, uh, you know, natural God given out, if you want to say, you know, talents and abilities, and then the nurturing around it matters. Right. And so I feel very blessed that I have very good supporting parents. And even if they didn't agree with me um, for some time, because of cultural differences, they still love me. And now they've come around and they recognize and appreciate all that I've done. And now they tell everybody else in the family to be more like me. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's fireworks going off around the world for you every day so, um, on your birthday. So you must have just felt yep. incredible. I am but telling you, I love it. I'm, I'm curious though. So like you, so you got, you have a very nurturing and supportive family from your parents, encouraging you, encouraging this energy. 
you become a teen, you've got the classic like med school push and, and you're clearly like, you clearly, you know, march to the beat of your own drum. And obviously that brings you a lot of energy. And so we can only imagine you as a teen that way. And your parents starting to say like, no, med school would be a great fit. We should just do that. How did you navigate for, for all the folks that are listening that feel like whether it's because of their family makeup or their background that can relate to this pressure. How did you have the courage to stand up for like what you're about and what you cared about to fight that like clear external validation of success to be a doctor and go to med school? How'd you fight against that? Well, it was, I fought a lot. I fought hard. And at some point I ran away from home. There were all these things. It was not easy. And, you know, I have a mom who's just like me, so you can imagine. And then years later, she said, you know, I, I, and this is to all the listeners who might be, who are parents and have children who might be wanting different things than them. And she said, what was I thinking? I was, I was fighting and challenging a 20 year old. I was the adult. I should have stepped back and I should have let you figure things out. So I appreciated that years later, but it was very difficult. And I was, you know, we had a lot of transition going on, right? I come here when I'm 16. I have two years of high school. I got to figure out how to go to college. I figured that out. And I got into some good schools, but I didn't want to be where my family was because there was too much pressure. So I moved out West and then it was in a new state, new country. I've only been here for a couple of years. So I'm figuring all that out. And I was just, I, what I did was I just avoided my family. I just left and I built my own life. I figured things out on my own. I made some mistakes, you know, and it was challenging to do it without the support of your family at that time. But my I, my thought process evolved quite a bit. And I started to think why the why behind the what was a big, uh, you know, uh, revelation to me. I didn't think of it like that when I was in my teen years. And I started thinking my family is this way because they want the best for me. They want me to have financial independence. They want me to have a good life. They're not understanding that there are other ways of accomplishing this. They wanted me to get married and have kids in my 20s. I didn't want to do that. And so we started explaining to our parents, you know, they're, they're like, we just want you to be happy. Well, there are different ways of being happy. And if you can't see it, that's fine. We'll show you how. And so we then it became this, you know, goal to be happy, to show them that I'm happy with my choices. And so that was the, the way I got around it. And when I decided to go to law school, my, you know, I, I got in, but then the, the, it was in 2006, so like the bubble had just burst. The economy was beginning to the, you know, show some signs. And my mom said, "If you got in, go. I'll take care of everything else. You should just go." And so it was great to finally have that moment where I decided to do something else, and she saw the value in it, and she supported it. Um, so yeah, but it wasn't easy. And it's like you know, uh, understanding um, why I want to do this, and understanding why someone else wants you to do something else helps quite a bit. So that would be my. Uh, my big, uh, you know, advice to the listeners to like, think about why does your child want to do this, or why do your parents want you to do something? Find that common ground, and then say, let them see that there are other ways of accomplishing it. Wow, that's very courageous, and it made me think of a couple of things. You know, on the parent and child thing, because also I'm a parent of a small child, and you know, I have parents and who had expectations for me too, and so you know, I was kind of thinking about both sides of it when you're describing that journey. One thing it reminded me of as the parent is I remember, have you ever read um, Khalil Gibran's The Prophet? I have not. I, it's on my list. So it's like, it's a book of like basically parables, right? Where it's like, you know, he's got this character who's like grown up in a city, but not as embraced by the city. And then is going to leave that city to like go home. But as that character is about to go home, all these different kind of personas in the city realize how wise that character is and ask for their advice before they go home. And so it's like each chapter is on like a different element of life. And the one about parenting is the character says, like, think of it like a bow and arrow where the parents are the bow and the kids are the arrows. Like you're meant to like shoot them out and they're meant to like go on their own journey. You know, you're not meant to like predetermine for them, like where they're going to land. And so that really, I've really stuck with me forever since I read that. And then when you're talking oh, about the parenting so side, great. yeah, it was I like very powerful. I read that book. I, it's such a great book. And it was written in the twenties, right? Like it's written a long yeah. time ago. Yeah. It's very yeah. short too. Yeah. Like you can right, read through I'm it. Doing this. I'm going to go read it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know it, and it, and for what I, 
I am and how I resonate with the community, which I, I love this community that I've met on social media. You know, I am, this is who I am. This is who I've been my whole life. I've been a real life influencer, helper, whatever you want to call it, you know, uh, and then when I joined the social media world of uh, of LinkedIn last year, I mean, I've been on LinkedIn, but I became active like uh, late November. I appreciate the community so much. And they tend to see me as I am because I represent myself as I am. But I'll tell you, it took a long time to have this kind of confidence. I had confidence, but knowing now what I know, I have you know genuine confidence in what I do. And if something goes bad, then so be it, right? I'm not going to get swayed. I'm not going to double... Uh, you know, second guess myself and I'm not going to, you know, try to do things to please other people. Not that I did this a lot, but we're all human. You know, we all want to keep our job. We want to satisfy our spouses or boyfriends and keep people happy. And we start making compromises and then they start to just become bigger compromises, which then become sacrifices. And then the question is, is it worth it? So it is where I am today because I mentor a lot of lawyers and new grads. Um, I, I share with them all my learning lessons so they don't make uh, or they don't suffer in certain situations as I have. And they're able to vocalize when they're in trouble, uh, you know, better than they may have. So it's it's been a journey. And I it's just so cool. Like, I, I love talking to you about this. This is a side of me I don't think most people see. Like, they always see, like, the big, bright, you know, bam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they're going to now. They're going to now. And I think they'll appreciate it, you know, because... I think it resonates so much for so many people that are struggling through this journey. So, so let's, let's pick it up because I'm curious, you know, you've decided to go to law school. You've like kind of mended the fences with the family pressure and being yourself and you see a place where you can deploy your gifts. But I want to check this first. Does it seem accurate to you when I'm saying like the things that I'm, I'm seeing and hearing as you describe your youth are like curious, like marching to the beat of your own drum, like storyteller, you know, like very empathetic towards like the human cause like were these kind of the traits that just always were were in you up until that point does that sound like a fair description it is yes it is a fair description so okay so you go to law school you're like starting to see how you use it and then you you step into the legal world and how were you trying to you know make a living begin your begin your time in this industry that was a new industry to you while still using your gifts like how did you try to bring as much of yourself into your career as you could or did you find out that you couldn't in the beginning and you were just like struggling to like just make it make it make it well you know it's never easy i always sound like i wake up and i go well of course it's not going to be easy <laughs> let's make it happen right and that's 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 just been my life um and it's in a good way right like uh I, I would like it for sometimes it to be easy, right? Because you don't want to be fighting a fight every single time. Um, but there are times that you can't help it. So I graduated law school in 2009. I actually went to a tier three law school. I didn't want to go to law school. I was thinking of like, you know, this, I'm going to take a year off, go to Europe. And then I got, I took my LSAT um, very, you know, haphazardly and then just got into a school. And my mom was like, I'm like, this is a tier three school. I'm not going, but they were giving me money for my, um, uh, as a scholarship. And so she's like, they're giving you money. You got in, you're never leaving California. This is a really good California school. Go. Right. So I was like, fine. I wanted to be a prosecutor. And that's why I went to law school. I didn't want to do anything else. I only focused on that. I had, you know, extern at two DA's offices. I was like getting in. This is where I wanted to be. And then 2008 happens and everything's changing. We graduated in 2009 and, and everything that I thought I had planned and had was gone. Um, my confidence was now shaken and I'm sitting here thinking, okay, what do we do? Like, you know, most of the, the, the Valley Victorians are okay, but everybody else are, are struggling to find work. Um, so I thought, you know, big fish pond or big fish ocean. So remember I told you, like I'd lived in Arizona for a little bit when I moved out of Chicago, I decided to move to Arizona for a couple of years, wait until the recession was over or the economy got better and then go back to California. So I went to the big fish pond because I'm the big fish and I never look at myself as a, <laughs> as a little fish. So I went out to Arizona. I passed the bar. I'm waiting to, you know, I'm applying to all these criminal law firms and then or going to the DA's office. I'm like waiting for my turn. And the wait was long. And, you know, I'm sacrificing. I'm taking whatever jobs I can. Uh, and then one day I saw an ad for a contracts manager job or contracts associate job. And. And I said, you know, I, I would like to have consistent pay. I need to have health insurance. This seems like a good opportunity. I think it will be, and it's a reputable company. So I applied, they interviewed me and said, well, actually you're more qualified to be a contracts manager. So they gave me a better job and better pay. And I was like, well, am I a sellout? Do I want to do this? Because I went to law school to do this one thing. 
And I remember the first day I, you know, walked in, got my laptops out of my, in my cubicle and said, okay, you know, Roma, every job is paid training. Take this job and learn, and they're going to pay you for this, right? Take these lessons and then go work at the DA's office. You know, don't give up on that dream. But right now, this is what you need. And, uh, and you know, nothing is forever. Like, I believe in that. Whatever it is, even happiness, right? You have to work at keeping it that way. And if it's bad, then know that it will be over. It's not going to last that long. And so I started that job. And then three days later, I'm like, I love this. This is so great. I get this. I am so good at this. I love talking to people. I love business deals. They were giving me, you know, they had the confidence to give me a really big contracts right away. And I was just loving it. I mean, I'm doing, doing deals with Samsung and Apple. And you know, I mean, these were, you know, for someone who just came out of law school and hadn't been able to find full-time work for a long time, and then suddenly had this opportunity, I, I had this aha moment that, you know, we are we we want certain things and we think that these things are going to make us happy, like being a filmmaker, being a DA. But here I am, I just get deals. I get business transactions. I get contracts. And I'm going to pursue this. This is going to make a lot of things fun and easy for me. And then I can do the other things that I want to. So I stayed with that job. And then at some point I recognized that, oh, you know what? They don't have a really good software. We should have a good one day. I'll invent a software that will do contracts. And then I just went off that journey. So it was tough. It was difficult to, you know, in that time it was difficult for everyone. Um, but I got into the, into the contracts world just by taking a chance and sometimes just doing something that's, a little bit easier doesn't have to be a big challenge. I don't have to prove myself to my to myself all the time, right? And I'm so glad I did that. And here I am. I think there's so, there's so many great threads there to pull out. Like, you know, one is is that like you felt like you pre knew what you needed to be. You needed to be a DA. You had like determined this outcome for yourself, you know. And then that path like wasn't available in that moment, and so you had to do something else. And I actually really love that because I think pre-knowing is really limiting. You know, you can't even conjure up for yourself all of the things you could do in your life if you pre-know the one thing only. Because the chances of that one thing that you pre-know being the best thing that you can do to create impact is probably pretty slim. But And it's only because you took this other opportunity and kept using your natural abilities to be creative, to like have better stories with your business partners and to figure out like how you help people move things along that are painful to them in that sphere. You were like using all those same gifts that you always had, but you just deployed them towards the space that you were in instead of having to pre-know this other solution. So I think that's really great because I think a lot of us have a lot of pressure to pre-know. And so when, you, when you're in this space, like early on, you're already thinking about technology and like legal tech was not anything like it was, like it is now back no, then. No, this is 2011. This is 2000. Yeah, this is. So where did you take that? This is, yeah, there wasn't much. Like, where did you take that? Then what did it even look like for you? So for, for me, uh, I, I want to go back what, just one step to the pre-knowing part, right? Uh, I, I want to clarify that there is, it's good to want things. And it's good to set goals, right? That's what, what my goal was, to become a lawyer and become a DA. I wanted it. I didn't know if I was going to get it. I thought I would, but I, but I wanted it really badly. And I was going to ignore everything else that was coming. And I did that for a year and a half until I said, okay, maybe I should explore other options. So, you know, we pre-knowing what we want is, is, is a fallacy. You don't, you know, but you... But you, you have some goals and you have some wants and it's okay to have them, right? And it's okay to put those desires out there and work towards them. But when you start recognizing that, you know, maybe this isn't my path or this isn't working out, there are too many signs coming at me to not do this, then listen to those signs, right? Look at other things. Don't limit yourself to that one thing that you think you want in, you know, you wanted six months ago because you are evolving your, and, and your needs and your wants are going to evolve. And it's okay to turn around and say, you know, I don't want this anymore. You're not betraying yourself. You're not a sellout. You're evolving. And that was the big challenge for me. That's a great nuance because yes, it's important to like keep pushing where I really encourage people to push is into their gifts to bring those out more. And it turns out that's actually what you ended up doing is you were like using your talents to push instead of like using an end result to push. 
That's what I like more because you can use your gifts all day long to push. And I think that you should. And I think you should want to like understand them more, bring them out more, share them more, create more with them. And what I find is that when we're pushing from like our internal strengths instead of external measures of success, the opportunities are broader, the fulfillment's deeper, the success is greater. Um, and so I'm glad that you I'm glad that you brought that out. And so so take us on this next phase where you're like you see the technology is important. Yeah, Nobody so I became a tech attorney very quickly. I loved uh, computer science, so I, as a hobby, I was like I was building computers. I was like, nerding out on technology just on the side. Uh, philosophy and technology were my unofficial majors, <laughs> and then eventually philosophy became my major. Um, so I knew, I just knew more about technology and I worked for this high tech company. So eventually the contracts started to evolve and I would see more and more technology uh, related contracts. And then um, I moved on, I came back to Chicago and then I started, um, I started thinking about, you know, what kind of law do I want to practice? And I didn't want to take the first job I got, even though the economy was tough uh, and just be trapped in that one industry. I loved tech. I wanted to understand applications of tech. So I consulted for a couple of, for, for some months and I started recognizing that all these companies had um, technology that was native for contracts. Like it was old school. It was too layered. It didn't work. So there was a lot of abandonment of this technology while I'm negotiating contracts for the technology department for this amazing cutting edge stuff. Right. And hosted softwares were still new in 2012, 13. And I became a SAS attorney very quickly. And I was like, why isn't this happening for us? Why is this happening for everywhere else, but legal isn't using this? So I was like, 2013, I remember, I'm going to build a software. I'm going to build a really great hosted software for corporations. And I have this plan. And so I, with that, I decided to consult further. And again, this is where the family support came in because, you know, I was like, okay, I don't, I'm not going to take a full-time job. And my family was like, what? You know, they have the same experience again. It's like, dude, we just went through all of this. You became a lawyer. Why can't you just work for a law firm? I was like, that's not my calling. You know, I'm going to figure this out. So I consulted in a lot of uh, legal departments and I observed how contracts were processed, how contracts were handled. Why are people buying certain technology and how are they using it and why are they not using it? And eventually, you know, in 2017, I started Crush Contracts um, to support legal departments and innovate contracts. My goals, again, evolved. I started off in 2013 saying, I'm going to build a great uh, contract management software for corporations and enterprise. In the process, I realized I don't want to do that. I actually want to build something for small businesses because there are a lot of tech, uh, startups and small businesses that need this help, right? And the market was evolving and I think everybody else was in the same uh, you know, wavelength. And they, I started seeing so many CLMs for enterprise pop up. And it's like, I didn't want to be in that race because other people are already doing it with a lot more you know, capital and resources. So I started to stay focused, focus my energy towards SMBs and uh, wanted to build a software for SMB contract management. But I stayed with the consulting part because I enjoyed doing it. That is how we made money. That's how we funded all of our projects. So we launched in 2017 with Crush Contract. We provided you know, consulting. We still provide consulting services to legal departments. And we launched our software in 2021 Zoe, um, which is a contract management software for SMBs. It's incredible, right? Like you're, here's one thing that is like really inspiring about your story is it feels like you're doing like seven things at the same time, <laughs> which you kind of are, but I always find the people who do that really effectively and really enjoy it. It's kind of like one thing that looks like seven different things. And at the end of the day, like you're trying to remove a pain in business that's inefficient and it's not modern and you're trying to make that experience better. You're trying to like tell that story inside of an organization that's easier, that's more fun, that's more efficient, that helps them grow. And you're doing it, whether it's through services, whether it's through your tech, you know, you're doing it in very, you know, different ways it would seem, but it's all the same thing at the end of the day. And I think that also makes it easier, right? It's just a deployment of your abilities in different ways. So tell us about you're building this tech. It takes like some years to build it because you're like also providing services at the same time. This wasn't the only thing you were doing. And so what was it like for someone who was like trying to build something? And, you know, I don't know how big your team was at that time. Maybe it was just you. I don't know. But like take, take us through that early journey of being like a new CEO, trying to build, trying to launch. Yeah. 
Sure. Yeah. So one thing I knew that I wasn't going to do this alone. You know, we are not we, us lawyers think that we can do anything. We got this. I can do marketing. I can do like you can like do what you're great at and hire others who are great at other things. So um, because I was focused on startups, I had uh, counseled a lot of startups. I knew what the challenges would be. Um, so I started off with a team. I had uh, two people that joined me uh, when I first started, and then I added more team members. At the moment, we have four uh, team members, um, uh, partners, and we have uh, teams in India and Pakistan as well. So we, I have a big team, and it's all self-funded. So challenge in the beginning was to go, you know, I try to raise money. And it was difficult. And, you know, as, as a CEO and a founder, you have all these responsibilities, right? And if you're also the product person, you're designing and building a product, you're raising money, you're also making money, um, and you're also leading your team and building a structure. So I built my company from day one as a corporation. So everything was done, you know, accordingly. We don't have, you know, like workarounds around anything. All the paperwork is and all the legal stuff is done. All the documentation exists. So when we are funded, when we get acquired, when we get bigger, we're not doing making them, you know, we're not dealing with things that I saw a lot of big companies deal with because they didn't plan for it when they first started out, right? Plan for success, plan for, you know, being a bigger company down the road. So I put all that effort in and, you know, I had, um, uh, I had support, but I, I, you know, I didn't do this alone, but, you know, our challenge was because um, I would go fundraise it took a lot of time out of the things that I wanted to do. So now I would just, you know, kind of like, all right, fine, I got to go to work. So I, I you know, while I, I'm going to try to fundraise, but if that's not happening, I'm not wasting my time. I'm going to go and make this on my own. So my attitude has been like, you know, keep, keep moving forward, plan and execute, plan and execute. You can have a big picture, but you also need those sub goals and you can plan and execute and things will work out. Right. So I'm out there, I'm talking to people, I'll meet people, you know, maybe I'm still, I'm still raising, you know, capital, maybe it will happen sooner than I think, but I have to be out there and, and I'm impatient. I don't want to just wait for somebody to give me money to build something. I'm like, fine, roll up your sleeves, figure this out, go do this. Right. So we started, we built, you know, we started crush contracts. We were consulting. That's how we funded um, Zoe and started building that project out. Um, and I'm glad I did. You know, it was, it was challenging because they say, if you really want your business to succeed, you need to quit everything and be 100% in that. What I was doing was I was working 40 hours a week and also working 40 hours a week on crush contracts because that's how you have to do it sometimes. So it was, it still is, you know, sometimes challenging and it's exciting, but I'm, I haven't done it alone. I'm not doing it alone. I have a great team. And what I, uh, a, a, appreciate about my team is they constantly remind me, Roma, don't feel bad when, you know, you're struggling because we didn't join, you know, for the end result. We joined because we believe in your vision. We believe in you. We want to see you succeed. And we know that you're going to make this work. And they have this faith in me. They have their trust in me that I've got them because that's how, you know, who I am. I, when, when you're in my world, I got you, right? If you make the, if you take the first step to ask for help or to join my team or my life or my world, I got you, whatever it takes. So I, I love that support. I love that encouragement from my team and I keep going out there, you know, uh, and working as hard as we can. So the consulting business is, you know, it, it, it is my favorite part of the business. I'm not gonna lie, you know, I, it, it exposes us to so many businesses, to so many clients, so many scenarios. If we only stuck to the technology part, I wouldn't yeah, learn wouldn't so much, it. right? Yeah, we you got to see like the real time challenges correct. that you're yeah. solving and you're staying like current with the actual problems. You know what it you reminded me of when you were talking about time is that for me, like, you know, being in a big law firm, being a GC and now having my own like coaching and consulting business is that like time feels very different to me. And I think back to something I heard about how time isn't always the same. And the example I remember hearing was, if you put your hand on a hot stove, it'll only be for a second, but it'll feel like a long time. You're going to remember that pain. It's going to be after you're going to be feeling it, but your hand was only on the stove for a second. If you have an incredible conversation with somebody, that's going to feel like 10 minutes when it could have been three hours. And so time is subjective. It's not objective. And so when we think about like 40 hours plus 40 hours, well, those 80 hours can feel very different if you're doing something that's not leveraging your gifts and putting them towards a goal that you care about, or you are, because when you are like, yes, it is energy, it is time, but it is something that is very meaningful to you. 
And so your life feels richer or those 80 hours, which are the same amount of hours can be spent feeling it more like an obligation and a slog. And so, you know, I just want folks who are listening to it to be like, ah, 80 hours, I don't want to live that life. And it's like, well, it really depends where you're pushing your time. Yeah. I mean, the 40 hours that I was working consulting, I was excited about it because I was doing the things I loved. I love being a lawyer. I like doing business deals. I love helping clients, right? I didn't have to let go of that to also run my company. So when I worked, and in some days I was like, oh, I wish I was working on my business. I reminded myself, this is what's making my business possible. This is what's causing this. You know, a lot of times, um, you know, I, I used to tell some, you know, people like, don't hate the journey that's getting you to the destination. Don't sit there and say, oh, I'm still on the road. I wish I was there, but this is how you're getting there. You cannot, you know, under undermine and underappreciate the process and the journey that gets you to your destination. You will get to your destination. You stay on this journey, it will happen. So I, and I, you know, I am, as, as you get older, you learn what to you know, be selective in what you're doing. I had great projects. I worked for great clients. I, you know, enjoyed the work I did. I selected tech companies to support. So it was fun and it was great. And it created new contacts and networks, you know, so I, I enjoyed my consulting. I chose something that made me happy to all, to then do something else, uh, you know, also that make me happy. So it was, it's a combination. And now we have a balance of it, right? And uh, sometimes I've had bigger teams. Sometimes I have shorter teams, you know, depending on the demand and depending on the economy, but it's something I really enjoy doing. So it's it, you know, it's, it's it, you know, to entrepreneurs, to people who wanting to, who want to start their business, my recommendation is that, you know, to ha take calculated risks, right? A lot of times people say, you know, I love going to this restaurant. I love eating this food. I'm going to start my restaurant. You have no experience. You have no background. You've never run a business, but I want to do this. So when I had small business clients, unfortunately, two of them had to file bankruptcies because they were, you know, white collar people who loved going to this restaurant and they wanted to start a restaurant and they did and it failed and they didn't listen along the way. Hey, don't invest this much money. Ask for your partners to put more money in. But they were just so passionate about it. They didn't think about business consequences. So you have to think about, you know, failure as well. Failure is part of your success. So if you have a passion for something, that doesn't always mean that you're going to be successful in it. Maybe if you have passion for something, take that time and money and invest in somebody else's business who knows what they're doing, right? There are tons of entrepreneurs out there, including myself, who have the passion and the expertise, maybe not the funding. So you can find, you know, a way into entrepreneurship by either starting your business and being a domain expert or, you know, investing or joining someone who is a domain expert who has started a business, then you have your chances of success are higher and you get to really enjoy the, you know, the, the results of your decisions. You're not regretting your decision to starting a business or joining a company um, because you didn't plan through. So some planning is necessary, right? Talk to people who've done it and then find a way to get in and ease in if necessary, right? Start small, do a little bit of this and this here, see if you really like it or you cut out for it, right? And then you'll figure it out from there on. But it, you know, the, the a good, really good point there about easing in is like when I'm kind of a three, three step way, I think about pushing into something new is, you know, once you uncover what it is you think you deeply care about and the gifts that you're going to use, it's not just go do it. The next step is what is the quickest, easiest, fastest, cheapest way to test that? And so like, here's an example of like, you know, um, someone I was working with who wanted to switch industries and the industry that person wanted to switch into was like novel industry, like EV, you know, earlier days starting up. And, you know, my suggestion was like, listen to podcasts about people who are like leading EV companies, send out, like write about it in a post to see if you like talking about it, send a message out to someone who's like in a similar role, but like in that space, have a conversation because those things are quick. They're fast, they're free. And what you find is, do you even have enough excitement to do that? Like if you won't carve out the time to listen to the podcast, send the message, have the conversation, prepare for the conversation, that's all the information you need. And if you do, then you can keep going. But before you like change jobs, invest the money, whatever it is that you're doing, restaurants, any industry, it's like, what is the fastest, quickest way you can test it? And then test again and test again, because very quickly you will refine how much you care. So I think that that's great advice. And some of those folks 
you know, maybe if they listen to this, they were like, yeah, we really should have listened to Roma and not like left our jobs inside <laughs> of those restaurants. Because those restaurants are learn. I, I say like, look, if you've done something and you feel like, oh, first of all, uh, I want to be clear. I do not believe in failures. There is no such thing as failure. They're just levels of success. So even when you think you failed, you've succeeded at something, you figured out what not to do, how you should have done it. Take that and tell people about it. Don't be ashamed or embarrassed about, you know, oh, I tried this. It didn't work. Don't even say it like that. Turn around and say, yeah, I tried it. I learned this, this and this. I learned that I'm actually, you know, I don't like that. I learned that I'm actually good at this thing. And, and spread the word, right? Put it out there so other entrepreneurs can listen and, and learn and, you know, take your advice. And now suddenly you're not a failure. You actually succeeded in learning something about it and you mentored somebody in how not to do it that way. So try, like, I love your, what you just say, how you framed it, like fastest, quickest way to test it. And testing it is so important. Like, you know, I tested it for, for years. I consulted, I went out and see, is this the life that I want? What do I like about it? What do I not like about it? Um, and I loved it. And I like more things about it than I, what I didn't like about it. And the only thing that you don't like about consulting is like, there's no guarantee about the, the ebbs and flows of the business, right? But it's money. Money comes and goes. So that's that's wherever you are. You can have a W-2 job and then not have a job later. So other than that, I liked all the other things about it. And so I tested it for some time before I went all in. What So what is something like, I mean, for everyone that's watching you and, and I want to talk a little bit more about Global NDA and everything that's going on there. But, you know, like these are all the greatness, you know, this is everything at the outcomes that are so beautiful at the moment. But like, what is something that the incredible Roma Khan has failed at that, you know, you realized like that's just a level of success and that taught me something. What is something that happened to you that that you had to have that perspective on? Oh, my gosh. Where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, in the context of, of running crush contracts, right? I have, uh, when I think it's up in the beginning, like I'll, uh, just a journey of an entrepreneur, right? You, you, I brought in talent and maybe I offered equity too soon. That's a thing to understand. And then it created an obligation on the other person who wasn't cut out for the job and they're feeling pressured, but they don't want to lose the opportunity for equity. And now there's hust they're struggling and eventually finding out that this wasn't going to work out. So we, we have all parted, you know, very amicably. They're all, we're all part of our lives, but that was the journey to figure out, is this your calling? And the person like, this is not my calling. And then, you know, I had to say like, I hold nothing against you, but then there were legal com complexities now because we had, you know, these equity agreements going in. So that was one thing to learn. So if you're starting your company and you're excited about it and there are people who want to join it, if it's your idea and it's your company, be very conservative in how you're offering equity into the company. And I wouldn't say, again, I wasn't, I didn't fail. I, you know, it was a, it was a thing that I succeeded. Now I know better. And so from that point onwards, the, when people joined, I handled it a little bit differently. Um, technology wise, I love, you know, designing Zoe. My concept for Crush Contracts has been, you know, if people do not want to read anything on our website, they don't want to touch our software and they blur their vision, they should still enjoy the art and design and touch and feel of our company. So that's why you know, the colors are the way they are. We spend a lot of time in branding and designing it. You know, we work with great uh, brand strategist to get that, you know, to, to be where we're at. Again, we hired people. I didn't come up with most of this stuff. Um, and so as we were, you know, building Zoe, I got too into the product. I wasn't thinking like a CEO. I was like, oh, then we can add this feature and then we can add that feature and just pouring money down it. And at some point uh, I was talking to one of our vendors who provides our e-signatures. Um, uh, his name is Mahender Biss and he, he started e-sign Genie and he exited. And he's like, Roma, I noticed that you're putting too much effort into your product. He's like, take what you have and go out and sell it. Start selling, get feedback, and then make the product better. So I had to pull myself out of that product obsessed person and think like a CEO, step back and think, okay, you know, I'm here to make this thing, but also grow my business. That's my ultimate goal to make sure the company succeeds. So, you know, there was a time period where I wasn't doing that. And I learned a big lesson from it that, you know, I need to, think like a CEO, act like a CEO. I can be obsessed with the product. I can be obsessed with the customer, but overall, this is where I need to be. So I learned that lesson. Um, and then overall, one thing I, I wasn't doing well um, was, um, and, I, and I think it's more cultural society or whatever it is, right? I was happy with just enough. I, had, I was making just enough to keep the lights on, to fund for Zoe, because we were gonna raise money, right? Um, 
And I didn't plan for an economic downturn. And what I have learned from that is that, you know what, go out there and make as much money as you can. There's nothing wrong in wanting to be the most successful, being, you know, increasing your revenue, do it the right way. Of course, don't, you know, screw people over. But if there is a way that your company can grow and it can grow big and it can sustain itself, keep going, keep doing that. I, I sold myself short. Because I was so focused on the on the technology, and then believe you know, like if I do this, and I'll go raise money. I didn't uh, pour a lot of attention into my consulting business for a couple of years. I was also going through many IVF cycles, so I just wanted to do just enough to be able to get by. I have no regrets in those decisions, but now I thought, you know, I'm going to do things differently. If there are clients coming for consulting, I'm not going to turn them away, which I did that. I can't believe I did that. <laughs> uh, so take as much as you can. Believe that it will grow uh, and plan for the worst, right? It wasn't planning for the worst uh, uh, as as well as I should have. Uh, and so that's my takeaway from this is now, you know, when the business is coming through the doors, accept all of it, take it, save it. And that can be your backup plan when, you know, the economy is bad or if you didn't get the funding that you wanted. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's always a, such a tough one for some folks who have like a very difficult relationship with money especially when you're creating it as as a business owner versus like taking it as a paycheck. Sometimes it can feel difficult because a lot of folks who go into entrepreneurship, a lot of folks are doing something they deeply care about. And it actually feels a little bit weird, the money piece from it, because you're like, but I love this anyway, I'd almost do this anyway. And I think that, you know, one thing that I've heard a lot that has been helpful for me is taking the money allows you to have a greater impact because you can push your message bigger. And so like turning it back into your purpose, like can reduce, you know, some of the stress that people feel about money um, on its own. And so I thought that that's, that's a, such a great message. So you, you get through so many of these learnings and, you know, you're fierce and you're courageous and you're creative and you've been using all these gifts of marching to the beat of your own drum and caring about easing the pain of others that you've been doing ever since you were little. And now you get to a place where you've got global NDA, you've got Zoe, you've got the consulting business. What is going on in today's version of Crush Contracts? And I know, because I want to hear about it, that there's lots going on with global NDA. So so tell us, tell us a little bit of the scoop, if you can, share. Sure, sure. Um, so, you know, one thing that happened to me through this journey was I was able to, you know, clearly see what my mission is what I wanted, you know, we had changed our company's mission several times over the last five years. And it was because like, is this what we want? We started off thinking we wanted to do this. Like I wanted to build the best technology or innovate legal departments. And then now today, my mission has actually gone back to the roots of it. I want to make law accessible to people and I want to reduce contracts in the world. Those are very clear goals um, and reducing contracts in the world as a contract screens might sound crazy or oxymoronic, but it's it's not. So uh, I think that's that fulfills my purpose. So how do I make law accessible in a corporate world, right? Well, you think about the companies we serve and who do they serve. If my client or if a company that we're helping helps small businesses, then we're making law accessible to the company that's making, you know, doing good in the world. So I looked at it that, you know, you can actually absolutely serve justice in a company's corporate legal department. If you have uh, you know, sales individuals or human resources or, you know, other departments in the company seeking legal advice, you're making law accessible to them. So I fulfill my purpose of making law accessible to all by doing my consulting business. I love technology. So we sit and we think about like, you know, yeah, we have contract review, contract negotiation help. That's the traditional, you know, support that we provide to legal departments for anything contracts. So that part, everything, everybody understands. But the passion around technology comes where I have used and helped implement many CLM into uh, CLM software for my clients. And I loved it, right? And I love gadgets. I love new technology. So I was like, oh, this is great. So one of the things that we are now offering is the CLM implementation officially and also utilization of that technology, leveraging it to do more. So I'm like a MacGyver. In the, like I like to... You know, we, I found myself often like in the kitchen, like I really don't want to go grocery shopping. What do I have? I pull whatever I have in the kitchen and I put things together and it started to become a thing I was known for. It's like, oh, just send Roma to your kitchen and see what comes out, right? And all these great dishes were coming out. So I started doing that same thing with the resources I had, whether it was this business, 
And I, I send the same message to legal departments. Like we're starting a new campaign for, which is called One Tech Many Uses. Um, there's a lot of technology out there. There's a lot of, you know, uh, there are a lot of options out there and there's always this need to like, do we have a good thing to be switched? So I want to look at what people have and tell them, okay, this is what you have. This is what you can do with this. This is all, these are all these other things you can do with it, right? So we provide that service. I'm very excited about it because it allows us to play with different technologies and create different use cases and experiment with them and then give those options to our CLM vendors to say, hey, go tell your clients that you can, you know, finance can use this, procurement can use this, right? So what that does is it helps the legal operations people and the legal department people, you know, lawyers or our councils to go and get the help they want, get the technology they want, and then explain to the rest of the company how this can help all of them. So it's not just for me to just approve a contract, look how it can help you finance with your forecasting, look sales, it can help you with your renewals, right? So it's it's something that I can we can do at Crush Contracts to make uh, our legal professionals' lives easier, make it easier for them to get the technology they want and to leverage the technology that they already have to make their jobs and lives easier. So we're very excited about that uh, on the consulting side. On the tech side, we are finalists for American Legal Technology Awards with Global NDA, which it was a big surprise uh, a few weeks ago. I didn't think, I mean, I we, we nominated and I was telling people to nominate us and I didn't think much would come out of it. I mean, we just launched in April. And we uh, are so excited and grateful for it. I'm so excited to go back to Nashville um, next Saturday, and uh, hopefully we will win. And Global NDA is a novel concept, right? Again, it goes around reducing contracts. So Global NDA is a registry of companies opting into one mutual NDA. And uh, it's now free. Uh, we, we want it to be truly global. Um, so if you have, in, you know, I mean, if you're experiencing the uh, the NDA nonsense, as Lucy Bassley calls it, and I call it the NDA nuisance, where, you know, I need to talk to someone, okay, here's an NDA, and then you have to, you know, process it for a couple of days. Even if you're automating it, you're still sending something, getting signed, maybe sometimes it gets signed, and it sits somewhere, and you had a conversation, maybe nothing came of it. Now you have a workflow, a contract. Is something sitting in the legacy repository, you're never going to delete that NDA. So there's now this data that was generated that's sitting on your servers and it's taken up space to just do one NDA that, you know, really what all it is, is a mutual promise of not stealing each other's confidential information. We shouldn't have to put this much work to do the right thing. So what I want to do is have a public, transparent, you know, registry. That should be your tagline. I like that. We shouldn't have to do this much work to do the right do the thing. Right thing. <laughs> that should be a tagline. I like that. I'm gonna write that down. <laughs> See, there you go. Good things are coming out of this. Good to be talking to you. Um, so we want to use global NDA as a means to help businesses all over the world who don't have the resources to, to review and sign an NDA, who shouldn't have to waste time and their intelligence in signing an NDA to just opt into this. You know, we work with several attorneys to uh, write this mutual non-disclosure agreement that is very global and universal. Um, the other uh, part of it to me is looking at uh, the amount of um, effort CLM vendors are putting into creating NDA workflows. I want to for them to look at this and say, really, you are building technology to go backwards? Go up, go further up, go into the MSAs, go into the M&A documents. You shouldn't have to sit and spend time building a workflow for an NDA. Like This is low-level stuff. I want to get rid of all this low-level stuff through this uh, registry automation, right, where... People don't have to review and sign them. CLMs don't have to create new workflows for them. People don't have to create new software just for that. It's done. We have a public mutual NDA that everybody can see. We've all agreed to it. Let's move on. Let's do the right thing. So you opt in, you start talking. And if there's a problem at some point, and which rarely happens, I've rare, I've yet to encounter somebody violating a mutual NDA in my career. So I think it's a very low probability of that being a problem. So let's do it. Let's move on. So anyhow, that's where we're excited about Global NDA. It's now free. We would love everybody to opt in, test it out. You can still sign your NDAs if you're, you know, you want to do both, but uh, it would be great to have everybody test it out and give us their feedback. Well, massive congratulations on the nomination like it's a lot of it's kind of like the a beautiful outcome for the journey 
you know, like one example of putting everything that you had that was inside you, your energy, your passion, your, your, your grind, your willingness to like fight against the, the current and to continue forward. And it's kind of like a beautiful result, you know, but it's just one outcome of many, you know, there's, there's already so many more and there will be so many more to come, but massive congratulations to you and the team and good luck in Nashville. And by the time this airs, you know, we'll know that fingers crossed you'll have won and we'll be able to celebrate it when we post this. And so maybe then like, maybe to close it out for us, you've given so many tips about your journey. And so I guess, you know, even to that self-aware kid back then who was about to go through this journey of peaks and valleys or to anyone else who's listening and, and, you know, you have so many folks who reach out to you to say like how much you inspire them. So to these people, like what is something that they can put in their hands, a tip, a tactic, something that they could do today to help them figure out, you know, like what gifts they've got and how they bring them more into their career so they can, you know, enjoy that full journey that you described. Well, thank you so much for having me here today. I've really enjoyed talking to you. And it's a different uh, engagement and interaction because we're talking more on the personal side. I'm comfortable sharing my vulnerabilities, my, my levels of success uh, with you. Um, and I, I'm, you know, I, I really appreciate this opportunity. Um, the, but I'd like to tell uh, my, the listeners today and, and my mentees and anybody else listening to this um, is that, you know, you can... Uh, plan for certain things, but be open to change, right? Life never turns out the way you plan it. It always turns out better. That's been my motto for the last 25 years. So if I believe in it, then I'm accepting of the changes that come into that plan. And two, ask for help. You know, go to people who you admire and say, will you be my mentor? Can you show me how to do this better, right? Um, I believe in that. I've always approached people. Some loved it. Some were like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, this is it. like, you want me? You know, I think sometimes they couldn't believe that I was thinking of them as a mentor. Uh, and I, I appreciate some of the mentors that I've had from early on in my career who were telling me like, hey, Roma, you have a lot of energy and excitement, but you're going to say the wrong thing in front of the wrong people and it could hurt you. And I appreciated how candid they were with me. Right. And I knew they had the best intentions at heart. So ask people to mentor you, save that, you know, use all that because it all boils down to, for me, you know, two things, helping people and saving time. I have a big problem with people who waste my time, who waste time in general. I have always chosen jobs that were less than 35 minutes in commute. I'm not going to sit and look back and accumulate the hours sitting in traffic where I work. I've turned down job offers that were too far away, right? I've stuck to this rule where I need to save time to do anything else that makes me happy, right? Um, so what we do with crush contracts, what we do with Global NDA, all of this eventually helps people save time and helps people in, you know, overall. So I would tell you to, if you're, what you're doing, find that, that thing that is important to you. And it doesn't have to be some selfless, altruistic thing. It could just be as simple as I don't like having my time wasted. Right. And if I don't like having my time wasted, I think other people don't like it and build things around that, that make you happy. And it will make other people happy. That's perfectly put and a perfect summary to you know, the journey that you shared with us. So thank you. Thank you for sharing the ups and downs, the personal part, the work part. You know, I think that vulnerability is, it's really important because we don't always get to see it from people who are leaders, who are making it, who are, you know, legal influencers. It's, it's really relatable because everyone's human and everyone's going through it. So I just wanted to, you know, say thank you and, and sharing the IVF piece too. I mean, like that's something that is so much more common than we think and we know, and is so painful um, and difficult. And also, you know, is a big part of people's lives that also impacts their work. And so I wanted to also just say thanks for sharing that too, because there's a lot of people going through that journey. Yes, and they to, are. Yes. To understand that is a big it's deal. It's just part right? of our lives, right? It's biology. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to add something here that I've learned so much in the last two and a half years of doing this. I run IVF support groups. If anybody is considering, especially women, to freeze their eggs, you know, do it. If you're thinking about it, then do it. I want to turn, you know, uh, fertility options for women in uh, workplaces as common as saying, you know, I went on a vacation or I bought this car because that is something that gives you options and employers need to provide those options for their 
female employees. It's not enough to just hire women. You understand that at some point in their early 30s, they're going to have to make these difficult choices about work and, and having kids. So empower them with the right benefits, empower them with giving them time off to make these choices. And then women who are, or and men who are going through this, um, let's talk about it openly. There's no shame in this. It's just what it is. Um, the more we talk about it, the less you know, it, 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 it remains like there's a stigma to it and we get to create better options. What I, I wish people talk more about this in my thirties. Uh, so I would have made different choices. And now that I do, I talk very openly about it. So the people behind me can make better choices. Um, yeah, I appreciate that you shared, you know, a little bit about your journey as well. So let's keep talking about this as well. And if anybody has any questions, feel free to DM me. No, that's, that's so thoughtful. And who knows, maybe there'll be a whole other business that comes out of this because yeah. you're passionate about it, it and you've got ideas. Yeah, there might be something there too. I can already yeah. feel it. Um, listen, wherever anybody was listening to this, you know, I know that they're going to have taken so much away from what you shared. So, you know, thank you, Roma, for sharing your time. And for those that heard this, if it hit you, like, you know, let Roma know, let me know if you think it was meant for a friend, please send it to them. You know, any way that we can help more people understand that the journey could come from their gifts and their talents, even when it's hard. I just think that's going to make so many people's lives richer, more successful, more fulfilled. And I just want to say, you know, I can't wait to see where you take this, all the new journeys that are going to be coming from your gifts, my friend, because it feels endless, you know, listening to you, the passion is endless. Um, so thank you so much. Thank you for sharing the time for everyone who's joining. I wish you an incredible rest of your day. And we'll thank see you. you next, thank you, Chad. Likewise. I'll talk okay. to you soon. Bye. Bye, Roma. 